I was the one who was at the golf course early. My parents would drop me off and they'd have to pick me up at dark because I didn't want to leave. And I'd be at home daydreaming of, you know, hitting the final putt at the Masters to beat Tiger Woods. Like it was everything I'd ever wanted. Podcast Junkies 212. That's actually the original area code from New York City. And I actually have a 212 area code as my mobile phone. Um, I think I had the opportunity to get that probably 90s. And at the time, um, it was 917s from mobile numbers. And when I saw a 212 available, I grabbed it. I still have it to this day. So my friends that get a call from me, no matter where I am in the country, see that New York City number. So I don't think I'll be letting go of that. It feels like a collector's item. So that was a random digression, but we are at 212. Last week was a great conversation, 211, with uh, Mark Sullivan. He is the host of The Snowboard Project. So fascinating uh, to hear what he did in terms of being a snowboarder, uh, running a couple of snowboarding magazines, commentating at the Olympics, um, and then starting the podcast. And the way he started out and how many he had recorded to begin with, you've got to hear that episode if you haven't already, episode 211 with Mark Sullivan. He subsequently sent me a copy of a pamphlet he puts together. It is a work of art. I'm going to do a little video in Podcast Junkies Junkies on Facebook. If you aren't a member, please join because I'm going to show you exactly what he did. It was fantastic and a great way to stay engaged uh, with his past guests. Once again, we are brought to you by the Scarlet 2i2 sound card by the wonderful folks at Focusrite. Shout out to Dan Hewley. Can't say enough good things about this sound card super clean preamps, which provide a clean boost to your sound. So I've used it both with the Samson Q2U microphone, as well as the Shure SM7B, which is a bit gain hungry and definitely requires a clean sound card. So this is the new 3G third generation sound card, and it's guaranteed to make your audio sound completely professional. This week, I'm so excited to be speaking to Colin Morgan, host of The Daily Grind. Colin was kind enough to have me as a guest on his podcast, and I'll have links for that in the show notes. But uh, we just uh, been communicating back and forth, and I felt that it was definitely time to have him on. I am so happy with how this turned out. You will not be disappointed. We started talking about the podcast, and then we moved into monetization. Um, he came up with this one question he asked his listeners, which totally blew my mind, and it's something I'm implementing at the end of this episode, so stay tuned to hear it, uh, what the question was and hear my version of it at the end of this episode. So many good takeaways. Again, if you are having a podcast and you want to build authority and you want to start having conversations with sponsors, this is the masterclass that you should be listening to, bookmark or save, not delete on your podcast subscription and keep coming back to it. It's that good. Uh, I'm excited to share it with you. This episode is also brought to you by Fullcast, our full service done for you podcast production agency. If you need help starting a show or have some consulting questions related to your existing show, feel free to set up a free chat with me at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. That's chat one five. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but let's get grinding. So Colin Morgan, host of the Daily Grind podcast. Thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Hey, Ari. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. So... When you when you were getting the, the name for the show together, you've probably seen this already by now because I was looking on on, on pod, I use pod news sometimes when I look up shows and stuff like that. I don't know if you've count, done the last count, but how many daily grind podcasts? 
There are. Yeah, uh, I think there was a bunch. But I, at the beginning, I was kind of naive to the podcast space. So I didn't know. I'm like, oh, what a sick name. <laughs> I didn't even come up with it. And then yeah. I, uh, I had it. And yeah, there's a lot of daily grinds out there. So who gets credit? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm taking the credit for it. No, no, but the, uh, the name, the my name, girlfriend, yeah, yeah. Michelle. Oh, cool. Michelle uh, Michelle came up with the name. We're on the golf course one day. I'm like, I, I was wanting to start a podcast. And she's like, what about the Daily Grind? I'm like, sweet. <laughs> I love it. So were you just a, a natural consumer of shows for a while before you felt like you wanted to dip your toe in the water? I wasn't. I was kind of a very much a beginner. Mm. Uh, I got into, I think the first podcast was Entrepreneur on Fire. Yep. And I kind of yeah. like. Yeah, I kind of listened to to John a little bit, and then I reached out to him to be on his show, and he mm-hmm. uh, was gracious enough to have me have me as a guest. And then from that, that's what kind of sparked my uh, my interest and education in it, and wanting to to dive in deeper. How far back was that? The summer of two thousand seventeen is when I got into podcasts. Mm. Okay, yeah. And so, did you play around with a couple of different formats, or how did you land on? Because you're doing the five a day, <laughs> similar to what uh, John is doing. Yeah, you know what? I, I at that point in my life, I'd kind of been dipping my toe in a whole bunch of different things. Um, after my golf career, I, I tried a whole bunch of different businesses, and they kept failing. And I, I was like, the one of the biggest reasons I was money hungry. I was looking for that quick, that quick buck. And mm. uh, a lot of a lot of people probably listening can relate to that. And it just wasn't working for me. And I figured, you know, if I did podcasting one day a week, I'd I'd heard of people, you know, you do a few episodes and then they stop. And I'm like, I just really wanted to commit to something. Mm-hmm. So it was as much about, you know, the daily grind. I'm like, okay, I really want to help people who drive into work nine to five and that's Monday through Friday. So it just made sense. And I wanted to commit to something that was kind of hardcore. And so I did it that way. Was that you? Was that, would you, were you basically, you know, speaking to your, a, a past version of yourself and you're like, totally. In terms of, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I've, I've been struggling for so much. Like I'd started so many different businesses and I was working for people and I knew from a young age, I wanted to do something myself. Like I did not want to go into work. I did not want to hold a, a job. Uh, I wanted to be independent and have freedom because I saw other people doing it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, they can do it. Why can't I? So I, I kind of went in with that attitude and luckily I was young. So I believed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are some of your most memorable uh, earlier jobs? Oh man. So I don't know if I was a professional golfer. So after my golf career, I, my dad owned restaurants growing up. So I kind of naturally got into that. So I I served, I bartended, Mm -hmm. I managed a restaurant, I managed a golf course. I sold international real estate. I almost (laughs) opened a car dealership, e-commerce site, and I started an online golf business. Um, and that was all that's wide span of a few years. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is, is. Did you pick any of that up from your parents? Just kind of this trying different things or being, you know, trying this idea of trying business for yourself? Yeah, my parents are both very entrepreneurial. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, my dad was a restaurant owner uh, mm-hmm. when I was growing up and my mom owned clothing stores. And then even at that age, my brother's kind of an entrepreneur my sister owns her own uh, and runs her own business so it kind of runs in our family so for me yeah. it was like it's kind of just in me mm-hmm. when did you get get the idea to like to start putting the format for the podcast together like did you think about who you know who you wanted to talk to did you have people in mind or were you kind of just flying by the seat of your pants as you were getting started 
You know what? I had an idea of like what I wanted the show to be. So as much as I was at the beginning stages, you know, hopefully helping people, it was more, it was a lot, to be honest, it was more about me. Uh, I saw it as a way of like, I'm never going to be able to speak with, you know, these types of people and like people like you, Harry. But if I reach out for an interview for some reason, everyone's open yeah. to it. And, uh, you know, I always say I got 20 guests on the show before I had the name. I recorded the episode, I recorded 20 episodes before I went live and I just kind of fell into it and just naively, I'm like, started reaching out to, to people over and over and they're like, yes, yes. And I just kind of, it kind of happened that way. And then I'm like, oh, I might as well come up with the structure of the show. I'm like, how do I put this on iTunes? So it kind of did things. And I, yeah. and I actually think that that's a good lesson. I think so many people oftentimes over plan. Um, mm. I think oftentimes you just take action from it. And if you take action, then you'll learn as you go. Yeah. How long were you pursuing the golfing career? I did it for three years after I finished college. I, I played, uh, I was trying to reach the PGA tour as my ultimate goal to mm -hmm. be, become a professional athlete. I played on the mini tours and then, uh, I kind of just over, I'd probably say like a year and a half in, I just lost my passion for it. It, it almost became, even though you know, you're kind of working for yourself and you have to perform at high levels, very stressful and you're playing for money. It became a job to me. Mm. Like it felt no different than driving into work and sitting in a stall. And like for me going to practice, it just sucked. And then I was almost happy when tournaments were over. So it was kind of over time where I started to realize like, I really need to do something different here. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And is there something about the, um, it just wasn't lighting you up because you know if people see that you know people who are amateur golfers i, I think they would imagine wow I, I can't imagine a bigger dream than being able to like call that my profession and playing day in and day out mm -hmm. is there some aspect of that that people over glamorize for sure well i think when you hear professional golfer you first thing people think of is the pga tour yeah and if you get to the PGA tour, like it's all those things that everyone dreams of, right? Like it's all the glamor. It's all the, it's, it's fun. Um, but a lot of the lower levels, like in sports, there's the highest levels and then there's sort of like the, the mini tour circuits. And as much as those are, those are fun. It's a grind. Like you're playing for, you know, $10,000 purse prizes and entry fees are $1,500 and you got to get to the tournament. Wow. You got to travel and you have mm. hotel fees and you got to practice and you got to make sure your clubs are up to date or else you're going to be. Wow. So it's a very, I always said that to really do it properly, probably need about sixty seventy thousand $70,000 behind you a year just to ensure you can play every tournament you want to. And mm. the thing is, if you don't play, then you're behind people, right? Like if you only play you know, 10 tournaments a year and someone's playing 25, well, they're a lot more comfortable to like anything else. The more you do it, the better you get. Um, yeah. So you really need that. It really takes some golf is very, very expensive. And did you have the passion when you were younger? Like, is this something your father did and he got you into it? Big time. Yeah. Like I, that's all I, all I ever dreamed of. I never thought I'd do anything else. Like that's where, when that sort of got taken away and I realized it wasn't like, I went through a really tough time because growing mm. up, like I was the one who was at the golf course early. My parents would drop me off and they have to pick me up at dark cause I didn't want to leave. And I'd be at home daydreaming of, you know, hitting the final putt at the masters to beat Tiger Woods. Like it was everything I'd ever wanted. I worked so wow. hard at it. I sacrificed so much in high school. You know, people would be off partying. 
that wasn't me. Like I was so dedicated to it. So hmm. yeah, it was tough when, uh, it was tough when I realized that I needed that change. And was it just the, um, for lack of a better term, the daily grind of that aspect of it that was just wearing you down or the realization that, you know, to perform at the level where you wanted to be at would take either just for you to take your game to the next level or for you to change something about what you had been doing up until that point? Well, in all transparency, when I got to college, uh, for the for like up until that point, people were telling me that I could do it and I had so much backing and, and I went through a really difficult time in college and probably a different podcast, but I went through heavy instances of abuse and yeah. that took me out of that mental state. Like no mm. longer was I dreaming of being a, like, I was just trying to get through the day and, uh, it, it just took that completely out of me. And then over time, like, even though I still loved it, I just, st- I d- you do it too much and you don't deal with your problems. You just, mm-hmm. it becomes yeah. not fun. Yeah. Yeah. As you started to get into this routine of the daily show, like this idea of the daily grind and, and, and obviously all this mindset about how to practice uh, that you learned as you were you know in your golf career. I'm wondering if there's some parallels there and what you learned and, and just kind of talk us through that process of getting started and, ha- and realizing that you have to do this and have to put out a, a product every single day. Yeah. So when I was starting to get in a pocket, I really knew the importance of, of having a, a structured show. And for me, that's what I, for the first hundred episodes, I really followed a script, much like a salesman would get a script when you kind of get a job for the first time. You're not really comfortable with things. You don't know how to handle certain situations. So I kind of had my set of questions and, and I ran through them and where I could chime in, I'd chime in. But it took me about a hundred episodes to feel very comfortable with a microphone and to not kind of cringe over my own voice and little things like that. And, uh, like I learned as an athlete, like stuff takes time and it takes practice and it takes consistency. And that's really why I love doing it five days a week. Um, for, and I still do it five days. A week. I just love that consistency within it. And I love what I do it took me a hundred episodes to feel really comfortable. And then through hearing other podcasts and, you know, when people would come on, I realized sort of the benefits of having more of a discussion based uh, episode instead of having it structured. I think because the only podcast I listened to was EO fire. I felt like that was it. And <laughs> and that's then, how all podcasts are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. And then you start to, you don't know what you don't know, right? And you start to listen to other people's shows and you're like, okay, this isn't the only one. This isn't the only way to do it. And then you kind of find your own voice through that uh, discovery and practice. When you were looking for your first guest, you said you had the first 20 recorded. Um, mm-hmm. Were you looking, was there a specific avatar you were looking for in terms of people you wanted on the show or people that were like, had inspirational stories or how did you think about who your ideal guests were? And then the counter to that is, you know, who would you imagine is your, your listener looking for that type of content? Yeah, I was looking for entrepreneurs. So I wanted people who started their own business. Um, I wanted people who people could relate to. So maybe they'd had a job before they had a, a, a difficult or inspiring story or a big name, right? Like someone who could come on at the time and help me grow my show. But I always had, and I still always have like the person who listens to the show is someone who drive ideally someone who drives in to work nine to five, they have a decent job. They're looking for something different. Like they want something more in life. They know that they can do more and this show just educates them and gives them the little inspiration that most people need to know that you can do it. So that's, that's ultimately the person who, who listens. 
how are you doing your outreach in terms of like who you were going after for guests on the show and how has that changed since the time you started? Yeah, at the beginning. So I found other shows that did something similar to what I did. And then I kind of looked at their guests and I reached out to them. I figured, you know, they already do podcasts. They already know it. Let's reach out to them. And uh, over time, I, I'd probably say about a year, just over a year in, I started to not only did I have to do outreach because I spent a lot of time doing that. Now, all of a sudden, I had people reaching out to be on my show. And uh, that was kind of a cool moment for me. And now I get over 60, 70 inquiries a month. So the outreach is very, very limited for me. I'd probably say that I focus on maybe five people that I really want. And other than that, like I have so many outreach where I don't really have to do that as much. But like anything else, the beginning stages was a grind, like probably an hour to two hours a day, finding people and reaching out, trying to get them on the show. I was one, two hours a day, like I had to... Uh, do that amount of work in order to fill my pipeline because I, I gave myself a, about a month and a bit of of episodes before I launched. Mm-hmm. So I always have wanted to stay that far ahead. Um, so in order to do that, ultimately, I needed to essentially get like five guests, five, 10 guests every week yeah. to say yes and book on the show. So it was a lot of work at the beginning, but about I, just over a year in, I started to ultimately get inquiries for people to come on and about a year and a half in now, I'm over two years, but about a year and a half in, I've had to, I don't have to do that as well. I get about 60 to 70 inquiries a month. Hmm. So now I can just kind of focus on who are the four or five people or like, what's the one interview that I want per week that's going to stand out. So I kind of focus more on that right now. Yeah. How have you grown as an interviewer uh, from the, from when the time you started? It's funny, you know, like, like I said, I, I, the first 20 episodes I did, so before I aired it, I was so nervous. Like I, I took off my shirt. I had to do them shirtless. Like I oh, yeah. was sweating. Like I hate, like it wasn't just stuttering and it wasn't just stumbling over words, but it was like, what if they ask this and I, who am I? And I kind of had that imposter syndrome. I'm, I take it. Um, you weren't doing video if you were doing <laughs> shirt. <laughs> hell no. I was not doing video. Not a chance. Um, <laughs> I was maybe a live stream. That would have been actually pretty funny. But yeah, just over now I've over 470 episodes, 480 episodes recorded. So for me, it's just like anything, you get a lot more comfortable doing what you're doing and you kind of find your own voice and it's not as much a podcast anymore as it is a conversation. Like this feels no different than sitting with someone on the couch. It is, but it doesn't feel as different. And you probably find that too. Yeah. And I think for the listener, uh, they always appreciate the fact that they, you know, we're taken into account i always say this probably on every episode but there's three people in the conversation there's you there's me and then there's the listener and it's singular listener too because it's one person listening at a time and i think a lot of podcasters think they're speaking to a whole audience of people true but on a podcast it's literally like one person listening at this there's the one person that's listening to this exact thing where that we're saying to you right now <laughs> if you're if uh, to you the listener so i think that's something to keep in mind when did you feel was there a turning point with uh, or or does a specific interview come to mind where you felt like you were sort of in the zone or or more relaxed or you were like um you know because we have we've had those conversations where just you feel like you could talk to the person for like hours and hours yeah i don't know if there was a specific interview like i don't know if there was that like tsn turning point so to speak i'm in canada so espn turning point i guess uh i don't know if there was that specific one for me ultimately it was just I think just one, 
I don't, I don't even know the time. It was just one month. I just kind of took off the questions and I just started to have a conversation. I felt very comfortable over it. And through that, you know, it took a little bit of time because ultimately you have those little defaults that have been ingrained in you. So you kind of say those little word patterns yeah, over yeah. and over. Crutch words. Um, but I, I think at the time where I just kind of moved the paper aside, didn't have to look at a Google sheet for the questions. That's when it kind of changed for me. Mm. And I ultimately felt like that's really when the podcast grew too. Mm. What have you learned or is there a common thread? Cause you, you have 400 interviews with people who are successful entrepreneurs. You start to learn a little bit about what it takes to, you know, run a good company, build a good company, sustain a good company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're now not only learning how to become a better podcast host, but at, at the same time, because your topic is entrepreneurship, um, you're starting to probably learn about what it takes to build and run a successful business. 100%. Yeah. I think, uh, the biggest things I've learned, and it took a while because I'm like, yo, they, these people all, all kind of share the so same commonalities, and I didn't really know what it was. And habits are are so, so important. People who perform at high levels and who have successful businesses, what they do, even what they do when no one's looking is different than everyone else. Mm. Like, we strive to be the 1% in life, I guess people say, yeah. right? Like, you want to become the 1%. But to be the 1%, you have to do what they do and they don't do what everyone else does. So you almost have to transform yourself into something different. And that doesn't mean you become someone new. It just means the way you think. And instead of waking up and you doing one thing, you know, you drink a glass of water or you get your exercise in or you listen to a motivational thing in order to get you going through the day or read a book instead of watching TV in the morning. It's just certain things, little things, I believe, that ultimately if you were to compare, I don't know, a, a hundred millionaire with someone who's making $250,000 a year, yeah. I don't think that there's crazy amount different. I just think it's typically little things that they do in the mornings, little things that they do at night and how they think about life and people. I ultimately think that that's, that that's kind of the key. Is there a particular uh, recent interview that comes to mind of someone that uh, just is either an industry that you didn't know a lot about or um, a specific conversation that, that kind of was inspiring you in terms of how they, how they built their business? One guy in, in mind is, I, I kind of knew about him. I've heard about him. His name's Charlie Jabalay. Hmm. And people may call, uh, think Charlie Rocket, I think is his nickname. Okay. He's really interesting. He was in the music industry. He was two changes manager. He left, had this dream to become an athlete and he became a Nike athlete. He weighed like 300 pounds, oh, lost wow. like 175 pounds, did marathons and Nike signed him on to be an athlete. And he got on a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams. And it's just the way he thinks about life and thinks about social media and how he manifests things. And, and it's just the belief in himself. I think that that stood out more than anything. Mm. It's just like the way he talked and the way he believed in himself and what he said, you felt it. Like it, to me, he's on, he was on a mission. Like he's on a mission in life. I feel like so many other people like too, you, you speak with them. They have conviction to what they like. You believe in it, mm. right? Like with what they do, they, you believe in it. And it's not that they're cocky or arrogant. It's that they just have a surety about them. And for him, he just had this surety about him and he speaks in a, in an Atlanta accent and he's kind of got that hip hop thing, Yeah, man. He like, I honestly think he's someone that most people are going to know. Very so, cool. How did you come across him? 
Instagram. Oh. I think like so many other people. Yeah, he was just on Instagram and I think uh oh MF CEO. What's his name? Oh yeah. The MF CEO project. I forgot his name too. <laughs> Andy. Andy, Andy, Andy F- Andy. Fr- Fr- Andy Frisella. Frisella. That's nice. it. Yeah, yeah. We got it. Um <laughs> he was he was talking about this guy named Charlie. Oh, okay. And uh then I kind of just went on his Instagram page and the way he thought about Instagram and it just kind of resonated with me mm. and then I just kind of dived deeper. So yeah, it's through that. So what's so bring us now current day, like how are you thinking about the show as a business? Um, because it, I imagine it started as a hobby, but it's now something that you're mm-hmm. thinking about um, growing. Um, I know that you've also dabbled with the, a mastermind as well. Uh, I heard you mm-hmm. mention on the show as well. So can you talk a little about, bit about that, how, about how you now take something that you're starting as a, as a passion project, but not figuring out with, with the help of the 400 interviews as well and everything you're learning, like how yeah. to, how to now build yeah. this into a business. Well, I, I think uh, I, I always had one, even when I started, like I always came in with the intention when I was podcasting that mm-hmm. it wasn't a hobby, that this was going to be a business. Like, I, like anything else, like I saw someone else do it and I just had the mentality, like I'll do that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a naive thing or I was young, like I was 25 at the time. Yeah, 25. So I just like, I came in with this real surety attitude that I can do that. And I just, from the very beginning, I looked at how do people monetize their show? How do you make money? And at the beginning stages for me, it was a lot of just trying to build up my listenership. And then again, about a year, maybe if there's a turning point, it's a year. About a year Mm -hmm. in, instead of focusing on the next guest, I started focusing on the current guest. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So for the longest time, like I, I would look at my numbers and be like, okay, I started off with a hundred listeners. Now I got 200, 300. I'm like, how do I get to 501? How do I get to 502? And in doing so, I felt like I wasn't speaking to the people who were actually listening to the show. And I started to, instead of focusing on how do I get new listeners, I said, okay, who is listening to me right now? That's so good. What are their struggles? I started offering 15-minute phone calls to get to know the audience. And then through that, I'm like, okay, what are they struggling with? How can I just help this person? And then through that, I created almost like little fans of the show. And then by doing that, they tell their friends and they tell their family. Ultimately, the show grew. And I found that that was sort of the the secret for me was not looking for the next guest. How do I service who's listening? Even if it's one person, mm-hmm. how do I mm-hmm. turn them into a fan? And how do I turn them into someone saying, Colin helped me? And now I'm going to help him, whether it's through a like or whether it's yeah. through a mention, whatever it is. That's what really turned for me at a year. And then I figured once you get to about a thousand listeners on your show, I really think you have a massive opportunity to monetize through advertisers or through uh, affiliate marketing. And so many companies and from what you read online tell you that, you know, you need 10,000 listeners before a company will take you seriously. And I was in business at the time and I'm like, I paid for cold leads all day. Like we were paying for, like we spent a lot of money on Google advertising at the time. And I'm like, if I could get a thousand people who listen to this person, offer my products or certain, like this is going to convert at a way better rate. So I went in with the mentality of to the companies of like, listen, I don't have 10,000 listeners, but why don't we run a small test? You can tell me what numbers you'd be looking to hit and I'll do everything I can to hit those numbers. Mm. 
And once I hit those numbers, then yeah. we'd sign him in on a deal and we'd go forward. So I kind of looked at it from a business standpoint, as opposed to listening to everything that I was reading through blogs online. <laughs> you also put out a book, the, the podcast revenue generator. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the, the process and the journey for putting that together? Yeah. You know what? I went to a podcast evolutions. It was like one of the top podcasting conferences. Podcast so movement, podcast movement, podcast movement, podcast movement, evolution. Evolutions is their new one in LA, which is a little confusing because I'm not, I'm not sure what the difference is between evolutions and the regular one. And it's uh, it's also four days. And supposedly it's like a, it's for oh, like a, more, a more advanced track, but there's a couple of folks who are like scratching their head on that. Yeah. So I, I essentially I went to that conference. People told me you need to be there. So I was like, all right, I'm going. So I showed up in Orlando. And uh, I met a whole bunch of cool people and I actually went through some like the people who presented, I, l- I learned a lot from, but the one thing I was noticing is like, I met a lot of these podcasters and I was always curious. I'm like, how many people do you get to listen to your show? Yeah. And some people would be like, I got 15,000 people an episode. And I was like, man, he must be like killing it. And he's like, well, I could do like, I'm like, get by. I'm like, what do you mean get by? And they're like, oh, like 1500 bucks a month. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I would be able to, ki- like if I had 15,000, like I just, uh, I'd be at 20 grand a month in revenue through ads. So I started to realize that there was a problem within the space and a lot of it came through EO Fire because he wrote a post on what you should be charging advertisers. So people were following that and companies were following that to a religion. So I kind of took my sales background, more of my entrepreneurial background. And on the plane ride home from that event, I wrote the book like in two hours. Cool. I just wrote it. And it was just about my philosophy and what's worked for me. Cause at the time I had, like I said, I'd had a thousand or just over a thousand and I was above these people with 15,000 listeners and I gave scripts away. And I just, it was ultimately to show podcasters how you can monetize and you don't have to listen to what other people say. Cause in business there's no rules. Yeah. Like the same company could be selling the same service for a hundred dollars or $10,000. Exactly. Right. It, it's just all about what does the company need? Can you fulfill the need? And if you can fulfill the need, looking at their monetary gain and then looking back and saying, okay, this is what I bring to the table. I'm not worth this. I'm actually worth this. So it took me a while to put together like the book. Like I wrote it in that amount of time, but it took me a little bit to kind of put it together yeah. and learn how to, to publish it. But yeah, that was the process and that was sort of the reason behind it. And you did send me an advanced copy of it, so thanks for that. The the PDF. Yeah, so was, uh, yeah, I found it interesting, and I thought your your story was interesting as well. And I'm glad we got to reconnect after um, you allowing me to to be on your show. And and I thought it's important to tell this story because I think too many podcasters they struggle. So I'm wondering, you know, maybe at the high level, what the what the bullet po- points are, what you're covering in the book, and where podcasters who traditionally think that they can't monetize a show like what you know what's wrong in that thinking process and what what did you find works for you so there's sort of two stages to it so one's for like beginner podcasters um and one is for sort of people who've been doing it for a while and they kind of more have a fan base and about anywhere between like 25 and 50 episodes in say i would say you're you're pretty much good so most people like i said most people had the thought that you need 10,000 listeners and that's where the discouragement would come in because you get 200 people listening and they would be completely discouraged. 
right? And and oftentimes it's difficult to get over that little hump. Yeah. And even the way people thought about uh, even themselves, like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, this company, you know, I don't know if I should, it doesn't fit what I'm doing. A lot of people have that question, right? Like it doesn't fit what I'm doing. To me, I'm like, I don't have the knowledge. Like maybe it's going to help you. Like maybe I think it's not going to help you, but maybe this company is going to help you. I took my ego out of the equation and I'm like, as long as the company's reputable, it kind of fits in with what my show is. I'll have them on. And you're going to find out very quickly if the listener likes it or not and if it works for them. But I didn't do it being disingenuous. I just think that so many people, like there are companies out there who are willing to spend a bunch of money and they spend a bunch of money every single day. And the platform that you use with your podcast is way more effective than a Facebook or Google ad. And to have the confidence in that and to reach out, get on a phone call, understand their need, fulfill it and close it just like a business. So many people were missing that skill. Mm-hmm. Like how do I not only reach out, but what do I say? Yeah. What's the next process? And then what do I charge? Like what do I do once I get them on the phone? Yeah. Cause so many people have the, the fear of asking the question for money. Can you talk a little bit about the process about how you, uh, I'm a big systems guy. So I always, I'm always like on Airtable or Google Sheets oh, yeah. or all these di- yeah. different tools to help. Sometimes I over-engineer stuff, but did you have a process for how you were going to go about this? And, you know, how many companies did you go after? Because it's, you know, it is sales, right? You have to knock on a hundred doors to get, you know, a couple of people to open 100%. up. And then, and then, so it's a game, definitely a game of numbers. And I think people forget that sometimes. Yeah. So there was there were sort of two sets of companies I'd look at. I'd look at ones that currently uh, advertised on other shows. So if you look at that, those are kind of the hot leads. They understand what podcasting is. There's a lot of big companies out there like Wix who do a lot of on a lot of different shows. So I'm going to find that I'm going to have more success with that. And then I looked at what companies aren't advertising in podcasting, like who are spending a lot on traditional forms of media Mm -hmm. and or who's spending a lot on Facebook or Google ads. And I would reach out to those companies separately with a different message of ultimately getting them interested in podcasting. So like you said, like you just have to through it, you're going to learn. I really realize if I reach out to about 20 companies, I will get probably about five responses, Mm -hmm. a couple meetings, and I close about one. Okay. So knowing that for me is like, I'm going to reach out to 20 a month, like 20 a month minimum. Yeah. Like I'm going to make sure I continuously grow my pipeline because as companies come in, you're also going to lose them. Yeah. yeah. So you want it to consistently build up. So you have to have that set time throughout the day where you are reaching out for revenue you know, purposes. And then there's a follow-up process, but you got to know your numbers and it just starts at the beginning. Like don't set a limit. Just be like, I'm going to do 10 a day for Mm -hmm. a month. And if you do 10 a day for a month, you got 300. And I promise you, you'll probably get some pretty good results doing that. And obviously, and this is something that's very interesting because it's something that I talk about with uh, the clients because we produce shows for clients and there's a couple that are looking at sponsorship and some of them just getting started. And I have them position it as a, what's your platform, not your downloads. So like people get too hung up. I mean, one of our clients, uh, Samantha Peshek, she's a Olympic medalist on the gymnastics team and she had zero downloads to start, but she had a, a boot camp. She was teaching girls how to do the boot camp. She had her own business oh, and she already had sponsors. And so she went to them and said, Hey, I'm going to launch this show. 
do you want to sponsor it? And they came on board. They basically covered, you know, our production costs. And, you know, awesome after idea. after yeah. season two, she hit a quarter of a million downloads. So, I mean, she had a, a following, you know, you know, obviously yeah. she's got a big Instagram following, 90,000, I think. But it just helps to think about, like, what's the value? They wanted to get in front of that audience, you know, to your point. 100%. And so I'm wondering um, if you're thinking about like, uh, so this idea of platform, I, what I tell clients is um, not only like your downloads, but what's your social media, what's your email list, what are the visitors to your website, like all that combined together. And then when you tell a sponsor, I'm not only going to do an ad read, but I'm also going to mention you in my social. So when I promote the show, it's going to be this episode sponsored by when I mention the newsletter, this episode sponsored by. And I think it's probably some of the stuff that you found as you were having these early conversations is that, you know, they, they have to be educated as well, like these companies yes. about, about the benefits. Yeah, so many people, you're so right. So many people just think or just are just thinking of the podcast, like, like, the people who are going to hear it. But Everyone that I do, I post it on social, I add it to my list, inner circle group members, like I promote it to everyone. And I do it because, like I said, like you get, when I asked that question at the beginning, what are the metrics that you are looking to hit? I now have that number in front of me. Hmm. So I'm going to do, and you're going to do whatever you can to hit those numbers because you want to keep them on as a sponsor. And if you continue to hit those numbers, they'll stick on. If they don't, then you realize, okay, that's not it. Let's move on. But I like, I seriously think, I love what you're saying. It makes a whole bunch of sense. But my point is get the numbers at the beginning. So it's interesting. So yeah, I love, the, I love this deep dive on this topic because this is really going to resonate with a lot of folks uh, in, the, in the audience. When you ask them what they're looking for, are you asking them for what their expectations are in terms of widgets sold or like listens to like what they're looking for in terms of like listens or traffic? Like how, what's that, what's that metric of measurement that you're using for them when you're asking them that question? Both. So I would, it's a great question. So most of them, it's like xyzwebsite.com forward slash your landing page. Yeah. So first of all, how many people based on the amount of listeners I got, how many people are you wanting to hit that site? And then what's your goal on your end for sales? So when they give you those numbers, do they have any context? Because obviously, if you're a company and you're like, okay, if you're getting a thousand, if you've got a thousand listeners, I want a uh, hundred people visiting the site, and so you have to manage expectations on your end, right, for what you can, what you can deliver. So talk about talk about that. Each company's different, right? So they'll sell different things. So something that's obviously a big ticket priced item, you're going to be able to be like, okay, well, if you spend a thousand dollars with me here this week and you sell a product, you're making 2,500 bucks. So you just need to sell one, right? Whereas another company you're looking at saying, okay, spending a thousand dollars for me says a $10 product, but it's monthly. Then you have to look at what's the lifetime value of that customer for you. Not just what's the first time purchase, but when people purchase for the first time, what's the lifetime value? They'll have those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Any company is going to know what a lifetime value of their, of, of a, of a client is. So you're going to get that right off the bat. And most likely it's going to be like, oh, this person will stick on for a year. So well, I know off the bat, well, that's over a thousand bucks. So ultimately you just need one person, like really? And two is a bonus. So if you get two every time, you know, we do this thing, like you're, this is good for you. We'll click on. Like if you, if we were to hit those numbers for you, you'd be able to stick on for six months to a year, right? So I do that with the intention of closing them for future use. So not just, hey, will you come on for an episode? Let's come on for an episode. But if this works, like let's set up the deal where if we hit these numbers, this is going to be the deal afterwards. Um, 
And apologies, we've got a, a vacuum now, obviously, no going worries. on on top of everything else that's happened. <laughs> no <laughs> <this doubt>. call. <laughs> so the, um, but it's interesting, Colin, the, um, your, what I'm hearing you say is that this is an active discussion and you're customizing your conversation, your responses to what they're telling you. And you are actually educating them as well into, into what the ex what real expectations are and then when you say things like okay what's the lifetime value you know how much is this worth to you you have to kind of like hold their hand in this process as well especially for folks that are new to the podcast advertising space a hundred percent yeah because some people will come back at you with like ridiculous numbers they're like i want a thousand people it's like oh man i'm gonna tell you right now you're not gonna hit those numbers so if like that is the number one priority for you that you need a thousand people to visit your website, my show's not for you. But if this is something where you were looking to sell this product or let me educate you, you're probably going to get this amount. And the mm-hmm. second time you do it, you'll get more. The more times you advertise, the more people are going to trust in you yeah. because they're going to realize that I trust in you. So you, they become more of a company. No one buys really off the first one. Yeah. So that's where you really need the repeat business. Um, like anything else, you could tell them as you walk through when you run a Google ad to someone buy the first time they click. No, that's why you pay for retargeting. Yeah. Yeah, it's the old sales maximum. Like I think uh, depending who you ask, but they say like someone needs to hear a product mentioned or an offer made 11 times. I think it's something like yeah. that before they I will decide if they if they want to purchase it. And so you mentioned like per episode, maybe to get their feet wet to try something. But are you trying to get a commitment? Because a, a lot of times when I have these early discussions as I try to get them into a three month commitment, because in fairness to the host, the guest, the listener and the sponsor, like the more time we have that relationship the longer that relationship is the better it is for everyone totally i I believe if it's a if it's a company i know like i use the product and i believe it can help 100 percent, i'm going for a long-term deal if it's something that i'm just kind of getting to know and like i don't really know if this is going to work in like recently I've done a couple, uh, one was a health product. Like I did one through HelloFresh where it's like a meal delivery service yeah. kit. Yeah. So something completely different than what I'm used to. So I did about six episodes with them so they could get to know the feel. But if you hit those numbers and it really works for them, then we'll get them into the longer term deal. Um, but companies that are a little more like, you know, and you trust and who do that, I try to get that from the beginning, but ultimately I'm trying to build trust. Like I'm trying to show them that I'm going to do what I can to help you. Like, I'm not just going to take your money because I'm have listeners, which I think so many people do. It sounds like you're building these relationships directly with the companies as well. Are, have, yes. Is that the case or, and, and, yep. um, and I imagine that's much better because a lot of these companies that you mentioned, they're probably working with like a mid-roll or some of these, you know, True Native or some of these advertising agencies. But obviously, if you do that, you know, they're going to take their 30%. So I, it sounds like you made a decision early on that you were just going to go straight to the source and have these conversations directly with the folks in charge. Yeah, I, I try to work. I've worked with the outside companies, the representatives, and I just find I don't get like they, they can't give me any answers. They just want to buy the ad spots. And it's like, well, I don't know if it worked. Like if you told me after a week that we could have changed up the wording or I could have helped you in some different way. And then you don't get a lot of communication back and forth. And ultimately too, you don't get paid on time. 
And I think that's super important as an entrepreneur. When you deal with other companies, they want to get paid. But when they're paying you, it's like two months mm. down the road, you ultimately get paid. And for me, it's like, yeah. no, no, no. You want to advertise on the show, it's you pay for it. Like, it, I'm not a a subscription basis here. Like, <laughs> you know what I, like you pay for when you go to buy a shirt, you don't yeah. like, Oh, can I pay you back in a couple months? It's like, <laughs> no, you, pay, you bought the shirt. <laughs> I want to wear it for a couple of time, for a couple of days. Yeah, let me get a feel for it. I'll give yeah. you some money later. It's like, no, no, no. So I, I think that's why working with the company directly, yeah. you, you get what you want and they get what they want. And you're getting, you're having them pay ahead of time before the ad is run. Yeah. In most cases, yep. 90% of cases, some, I don't like some I'll be, I'll be like, okay, you're a big company. This is how you do business. I get yeah. it. Um, but ultimately, like, you want to advertise, this is the cost. And are you comfortable sharing, like, ranges, you know, without getting into specifics? But I think a lot of challenges people, uh, new podcasters face is in terms of, like, where do I start? What do I offer? And obviously that the broken CPM model doesn't work because, like you said, if you're getting, if you were doing a thousand downloads and you were doing the industry standard, like $25 CPM, you'd be getting $25 an episode. And I think you're getting more than that. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. but I think <laughs> in selling the value, it's clear that you are offering a per episode yes. price for them. So yep. can you, you know, to, to whatever extent you're comfortable sharing, like what, what that range looks like. And, and for new podcasters who are in this range of like, you know, they're hitting that thousand download mark what types of conversations they can expect to have? Yeah, for me, anywhere between like, I'll give you a range because it depends, but like 250 to 500. Okay. New podcasters, like don't charge any less than a hundred bucks. Like, I just think if you're making $25 for an ad spot, you're getting like, they're, they're stealing from you. Like that's theft. <laughs> well, Look, that's so, yeah, it's so important to hear. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, because I think that they're so desperate to, to make money with all these little, you know, services that people are using. They just want to sometimes just break even. And I think they're thinking yeah. too small. So I love the fact that you're saying like, yeah, to just get at a minimum that $100, $150 an episode as the baseline. But it's it's I'm, I'm re really refreshing for you to hear that even that 250 to 500 window because you're having sponsors pay that. They're seeing the yeah. value and they're continuing to come back on your show and continuing to re-up with you because they're seeing that it works. Totally. And like I said, that's where you get the metrics, you, f you get the need, you fulfill the need and you're golden, right? Like any other business. And th those numbers will continue to go up. And just be confident and look, look to, like, I look at, like I said earlier, like, what are they selling? They sell a thousand dollar product or are they selling yeah. a $5 product. Yeah. And that's going to tell you, are they just trying to get downloads to their app? Cause they're trying to sell their company. Mm -hmm. um, and how much is that worth to them? So it's, you got to really understand the company because someone could easily come to you and be like, oh, I want to offer you. 50 bucks an episode and we're going to do it for a month and you're going to make 500 bucks. How does that sound? And someone's going to be like, yeah, like, yeah for finally new I made some yeah. money. Exactly. But they're like, wow, we just stole from them. Yeah. You know, they, they pay on, on a Google ad and on a Facebook ad, they're paying anywhere from $3 to $15 for mm -hmm. a cold lead. Yeah. So look at it that way. How much do you get to understand your audience's ability to respond to these ads and take action on them because by now you've been doing them long enough that you almost have an idea like what percentage of your audience is taking action um so you almost know like you know how you know you're, you're going after offerings i'm sure that resonate with the audience but do you have a better feel now for like that percentage uh that's actually 
you know, participating in the ads and, and, and clicking through or just kind of even purchasing as well? You know, I don't, I'm not like really solid on that. I would love to know that more. I think that's yeah. where kind of as a podcaster, you'd love to get to know like all the metrics and yeah, what yeah, you yeah. do. But I make it very well known that my, my ads are at the very beginning of the show. So if you want to skip through them, like ultimately I'm doing this for the listener and like, I, I want you to listen to the episode and get into it and listen to it. That's why I don't do any mid ads for myself. Mid rolls, and that's yeah. me. Okay. It works for other people. But for me, I do it right at the beginning. So, I mean, if you just, if I just think of basic numbers, I probably like 30% are just skipping through that right at the yeah. beginning anyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you think about the, you're doing obviously all host red ads, right? So that's, yes. they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're getting the value of that. Um, and then do you provide any metrics when all is said and done on uh, after the run of the campaign or whatever you're, you've done committed to for that specific sponsor? Yeah, at about the thirty day mark, I'll I'll do the uh, the downloads. I think that's really the only thing we have like yeah. downloads for the episode. So at the thirty day mark, here's where we're at in terms of listenership, and then they'll provide back the results that they're getting. So a lot of this, I think, you covered in the book. Is that is the is the is it available now on Amazon or how are you? It is. What, yeah, <laughs> you can get it on Amazon, but you can get it through my website at the best price. I think I yeah. might have a pretty good deal on right now. <laughs> Um, what's been the feedback to folks who have read it? Because I, I know it, it resonates. It seems like there's this has always been a common thread, but I think podcasters forget, and there's always a new wave of new podcasters coming in. So you know, how what's been the reception on the book so far? Yeah, you know what the information. It's not like anything revolutionary, but yeah. I think when you when people read it, they're like, oh, I need to step up my game, or like I'm not, yeah. I'm making this mistake, or like I'm just following in the trap of listening to what other people do. And I think mm-hmm. having the idea that you don't have to charge certain rates and you can do it. It's your business. This is your podcast. Work on the growth and work on yourself and understand yeah. your value. I think that's the biggest thing that they're taking away is just realizing that there is another way I can do it another way and I can really make sure that this is monetarily working for me. What has got you excited about the show? Um, I know that you, uh, the future of the show, you did a um, sort of a year end update, I think in mid December, you did like a recap of like, okay, here's where we are. And this is, you even talked a little bit about the mastermind, how that was changing. I think it was paid and now you're doing free. So it seems like you're always, always reinventing yourself and you're reinventing the show. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what you learned over the past year and and what are some of the things you've got in motion for, for 2020? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I always have things moving. I, I'm never stuck on, I think the biggest thing, I always just get stuck on ideas. I think people like fall in love with <laughs> Like all idea. podcasters. Yeah. yeah. You just fall in love with it. So I just, I've always had this, like every 50 episodes, I'm going to try something different, like That's what's good. not working yeah. and what is. And I had this mastermind group that people paid for and I did it because I thought that if someone pays for it, they're going to participate in it. But still, people don't participate in it. (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this free, but I'm going to vet. Like, I'm only going to allow a certain number of people and a certain type of person. And if Mm. someone's not participating, like, they're going to get it from the very beginning. Just like people give me metrics. I'll be like, listen, if you're not participating, you're going to know that you're not going to be a part of it. No hard feeling. But I just want people to be really engaged with, with it. So as much as it is for the listener, it's for me too. like, get get around people who guests on the show mm-hmm. have a business who are just starting out learn from one another and then i give the chance with the group to do a 15 minute call with each guest so luckily guests are very uh 
um, gracious with their time and are able to offer that. And I Very think cool. that's a huge bonus for people because that's when you really start to see some, some results is when you start to get on the phone with people like that. Yeah. I heard you mention that like your past guests, uh, are sort yeah. of some of them, a good percentage of them, uh, have been gracious enough to offer their time to, to the folks in your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been amazing. And I said, you don't know, you just have to ask. And so many people yeah. that you find, they've been where you are and they're wanting to help. And I think that innately people are very kind and good. And, uh, yeah. that's what I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and again, I'm grateful for you uh, having me on your show. So if, if there's any way I can pay that back or awesome. help out your community, we'll just, you know, by all, by all means, definitely ask. So a couple of questions as we, as we wrap up, what's something you've uh, changed your mind about recently? You know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now. Okay. Um, my first real book. And, yeah. I think how we, how we view people in power and how we look up to people and idolize people, I think oftentimes we almost place ourselves on this sort of scorecard of life. Like mm. we rank ourselves based on the money we have and the things yeah. we have. And uh, I just think that that's such a backwards way of, of doing things. And I think it's causing a lot of issues and problems in our world when we think and do things that way. So how I viewed people in power and not just like angry at them, but also understanding that they were never taught what to do one day when they got everything that yeah, they yeah, yeah. have ever dreamed of. Like we always like you work so hard to get what you ultimately have dreamed of getting, yeah. but we're never taught how we're supposed to act when we get there. Yeah. So I'm very sympathetic and, and trying to, to dive dissect that and educate myself on why people act a certain way when they get these things. And then also provide them with the, uh, the, uh, information that, you know, when people are, when people have a dream and I felt this with golf, when people have a dream, you're susceptible to people. You, you do things you wouldn't normally do in a certain mm -hmm. setting because you're trying to get to a certain level. So I think That's how we view, how we view power is, is, is really hopefully going to start to turn. It's, that's fascinating. It has hints of like imposter syndrome because on the other mm -hmm. side of that, people see that, see those people and they're like, well, that's what, uh, you know, we should be because that's what the yes. people who've gotten there act like. What, 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 was there a catalyst? Like what was this is, or has this been something that's slowly building up over time for you? This yeah, it was, it was slowly building up over time as I started to share my story. And, you know, one thing I, I've always done is kind of journal on a mm. very small scale. I used to do it heavily. Now I kind of do it more on a smaller scale, but I just yeah. love getting kind of thoughts on paper. And through that, you start to see why certain things happen. And there's major amounts of patterns that go on. Like it, yeah. it's crazy. And when you start to identify those things and really look and say, okay, here, just like you said, right. You idolize certain people, you view your boss or you view other people in power. And it's almost like you feel powerless. And then to the people who are, you perceive are below you, you act mm. the same way that they treat you. And yeah. it's like this, this cycle that goes on. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating when for me, it was, it's been a long process, probably about five years to kind of get to where I am and I'm still learning. Like I'm in the yeah, yeah, beginning yeah. stages. Yeah. And are you looking to like interview folks for the book or people that have like, are, are at that, were at that place and had a mind shift or are you just kind of doing the research on your own? Yeah, not so much an interview based kind of doing it on my own, but people I would be researching are more like uh, people with PhDs and things like that who yeah. can get uh, an idea in psychology. Oh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. 
Yeah, but I'm not looking like I'm not looking to be like a an expert in the field. <laughs> I just I feel like I have an a, an opinion, and I feel yeah. like people would enjoy it. Yeah, you're just speaking from experience. At the end of the day, that's all we're, we're all doing. Exactly. Yeah. What's um What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Oh, interesting. What is the one? I might have to ask people that question. Um, I think a lot of people think that I'm. I have a very laid back attitude. And I think when people meet me, I'm, I'm even by family, you know, people think yeah. that I, you know, I'm just, I'm not that way. Like I'm very determined and ready. I just don't show it externally. Mm. I'm very internally driven. I don't have this, like, I have to show people what I'm doing. I don't have that in me. So I think when people meet me or you hang around me for a long time, like maybe think that I do things kind of slowly, but I'm very internally yeah, yeah, yeah. driven. You're like the Matthew McConaughey of business. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Everyone thinks he's like a stoner dude, but he's just like yeah, this exactly incredibly right, successful yeah. like actor, <laughs> like <laughs> commercials. He's probably like a Uber millionaire, and no uh, it's funny. So I don't know if you've ever been called the Matthew McConaughey of business. I haven't, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll take it. Like I'm going to take that one to the bank. We're recording this, right? Yeah, of course. Perfect. It's on the record. Perfect. Well, Colin, I mean the the technology podcasting overlords were trying to not make this conversation happen or they were given <laughs> put a lot of roadblocks up at the beginning but i'm glad we were able to work through all those things uh just hats off to what you've been able to to pull off with the show i, I think it's inspirational for a, a lot of folks that are listening and who but with the also caveat of understanding that it takes work it's not something that's going to be handed to you it's something that you have to put in the time for and and it seems like you definitely had the background and the discipline because of what you were aspiring to with your golf career um and so i think if people put that sort of drive and the, the determination obviously they can make anything succeed even even a daily podcast and even the next step is not only producing it which you've been consistent with but also monetizing it which i think is going to be inspiring for all so uh, i'm glad we were able to reconnect um and i i just i think you had sent out the email about the book and i was like wait i gotta talk to colin like i gotta get him on the show <laughs> because we, we you know i just want to uh you know hear your story and i'm it's just so much more than i even thought it was so i'm, I'm really grateful for you for coming on and for sharing your story with, with my audience thank you harry i appreciate what you're doing and i uh, appreciate you giving me the chance Where's the best place for folks to listen to the show and to track you down and connect with you? Yeah, if you go to dailygrindpodcast.com, uh, you're going to find everything there. And uh, on social media, either LinkedIn or Instagram. And my handle there is colinmorgan.dgp or colinmorgan.dgp. Sorry. Okay. And we'll make sure we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. So people find <laughs> it. So thanks again. And I uh, hope you have a fantastic day. You too. Thanks so much. Wow, that was an amazing conversation with Colin Morgan. Just going back and uh, replaying it, so much information in there, more than I even thought was going to happen when we chatted, because uh, I was already a, a fan of his show, uh, and I'd been on his, uh, like I mentioned. It's essentially a masterclass in how to successfully monetize a show uh, with an audience that people um, is smaller than most people would think is necessary. Um, it's really interesting because, you know, he talks about this idea of having having only a thousand subscribers in order to monetize the show. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting is when he asked the question, who is listening to me right now? That was fascinating. And actually I'm going to borrow that idea here as we wrap up. I want to know that too. Like who is listening to this podcast? If you've made it this far, you are 
either uh, enthralled with Colin and you can't take uh, enough of his information or you're a super fan or you're new. I think it's a combination, but I'm asking now, like, who are you that's listening? Uh, I'd love to hear from you, Harry at Podcast Junkies, why you listen, what value you get out of the show. I, I don't think I do this enough uh, and it's important for me. So I'm asking uh, for some connection with you as the listener. Um, and I would appreciate that. We obviously have the podcast Junkies Junkies group on Facebook, but uh, I mean, even just a conversation with you directly would go uh, a long way for me to just figure out and, and find out more about uh, more than I know already about the folks who are listening. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I promised I'd read out another interview courtesy of Podchaser. This one is from past guest Andy Wang. I had the pleasure of being a guest on episode 174, and I am honored to be among such company. It was a great experience. Why, you ask? Well, Harry is a great interviewer who strikes that balance between preparation and flexible, genuine curiosity. There have been a number of occasions when I've listened to Harry's interviews in order to research a guest coming on to my show. Harry does great work. That's so nice to hear. And Andy's continued to be a friend even after his appearance on this show. And I'm really a fan of what he's doing with his podcast. So if you haven't heard that one, episode 174, thank you again, Andy Wang. And if you want to hear your interview read, then head on over to podchaser.com. That's the best place to uh, put an interview in, uh, in my opinion. I'm really loving what the gang at Podchaser is doing. I can't rave enough about them. And they've just received actually another round of funding, so expect some even better improvements and enhancements to the site. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Podcast production and marketing by Fullcast.co. Special thanks to our sponsor, Focusrite, and the amazing 3G line of the Scarlet 2i2 sound cards. Tune in next week for my conversation with Chubby Sakdev. She is a podcaster out of India, and she's actually the number two podcaster ever. Uh, and technically the only podcaster, the first podcaster in India who's still living in India. So it was a fascinating um, string of events that led us to connect. Um, and we had a, a great conversation. I'm really interested in you hearing what's happening in India in terms of podcasting. She gave us uh, the total lowdown and it was just a fascinating and fun conversation. So look forward to that. That's going to be uh, next week's episode. Thanks for making it this far for this week's retention hashtag. It's going to be hashtag Colin Daily. Colin Daily in honor of the Daily Grind. Colin is not active on Twitter, so you can just tag podcast underscore junkies, hashtag Daily Colin. Thanks for everything you do to support the show. I truly love and appreciate you all. Tell a friend. Tell your relatives. Have a fantastic day.